Well, if you have been watching the Winter Olympics, you have seen some of the incredible achievements and disappointments of some of the world's uh, best athletes. And that line, right, between success and failure is often so, so thin. Think about it for a second. You have an athlete who has been training and preparing for years, and then it comes down to one race, one run, one routine. They do their best not to be not to be nervous, not to act as if the pressure is just crushing. Because they know with, with one tiny error on the skis, on the slope, one bump of the bobsled on the side of the, of the run, one fall on the ice, and that's it. Done. And the media will, will make a big deal about it, and they'll go back to their country without achieving their goal. Some of them may even feel like a joke. That's what world-class skier Michaela Schifrin stated after her third fall of the Olympics. Feelings of guilt and shame, some of them may even need counseling. But with a clean race, a clean run, a clean routine, and they'll be a hero, right? A medal on their neck, a whole nation cheering, ear-to-ear, grin, feeling accepted and important and significant. Now, this may be the world of sports, but it's also a, a window of sorts into the world of ungrace in which we live, where everything depends on what I do, what I can earn, who I can get to approve of me, accept me, where I always have to nail the routine, where I can and must be able to fix it by myself, where I certainly can't be charity, where second and third chances are for weaklings and losers, where people get what they deserve. It's exhausting. In a world of earn and merit and approval and comparison and jockeying for status, grace really is interruption we need. And as I mentioned last Sunday, beginning the sermon series called Grace Full, it's one thing that United Methodists emphasize a lot, grace. In particular, grace in three dimensions or three movements. And so it's my hope, uh, hearing afresh, embracing anew God's grace will help us not just break free from COVID blues, but also from the cycles of ungrace in our own lives and in, and in the world. Last week, of course, we talked about God's movement of grace that we call prevenient grace, right? A grace that goes before us, prodding, preparing, coaxing, and calling us towards salvation and into relationship with God. And it's universally available to all people, and it often precedes our awareness. Today, we continue with the second dimension of God's grace, justifying grace. Justifying grace. What God does for us in Christ. Let us pray. God, open our hearts and minds to your word for us this day. We pray that it would take root there, that it would grow us and transform us, that we might live for you. 
and bear fruit for your kingdom. This we pray through Christ our Lord. Amen. A reading this morning from the Gospel of Matthew, um, from the 15th chapter. A very, very familiar story um, that Jesus tells. Jesus said, a certain man had two sons. The younger son said to his father, Father, give me my share of the inheritance. Then the father divided his estate between them. Soon afterward, the younger son gathered everything together and took a trip to a land far away. There he wasted his wealth through extravagant living. When he had used up his resources, a severe food shortage arose in that country and he began to be in need. He hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. He longed to eat his fill from what the pigs ate, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have more than enough food, but I'm starving to death? I will get up and go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I no longer deserve to be called your son. Take me on as one of your hired hands. So he got up and went to his father. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was moved with compassion. His father ran to him, hugged him, and kissed him. Then his son said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I no longer deserve to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Fetch the fattened calf and slaughter it. We must celebrate with feasting, because this son of mine was dead and has come back to life. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, this is one of the best stories ever told, period. Uh, and it really tells the story of grace. A proud dad, happy to have his sons with him, in relationship with him, sharing uh, together in the family estate, the family farm. Uh, a son, the younger son, who rather be, than being content with his status and vocation in relationship with his father, decides to seize now, to seize what he believes is his. Give me my share of the inheritance now. Sounds a lot like humanity in the Garden of Eden, doesn't it? The father grieves this loss of, of relationship, but gives the son what he asks for. The son squanders the inheritance and ends up uh, experiencing all of the tragedy of that loss of relationship, all of the the brokenness, all the hardship of a, of a warped identity, all the effects of his own poor choices. And then in the midst of living in a pig pen and eating the scraps that the pigs ate, he experiences prevenient grace, right? The longings for a home and a relationship that he once had, the, the feelings of, of conviction, of having wronged his father. Jesus says he came to his senses. Once again, a going-before kind of grace, wooing him, calling him toward relationship and wholeness again. You all know what happens next, right? And what happens next is just about the best picture there is for justifying grace. The long-lost son, the broken son, the son who now realizes that he can't get himself out of the mess he's in, decides to head home. He's prepared his speech. He knows what he's going to say. He's ready for the punishment. 
undo him for the dishonor and the pain that he caused. He's ready to just work as a hired hand for his father. But instead of all of that, something else happens. His father sees him coming while he's still a long way off. He runs out to meet him and he embraces him. He forgives him. He restores him as a son. He throws him a party to welcome him home. That's exactly, friends, what God's justifying grace does. It pardons us. It restores us to right relationship with God. It welcomes us into a new family and gives us a new identity. John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist movement experience, uh, this justifying grace of God one evening in 1738, he was attending a class meeting at a, at a church where the leader was reading from Martin Luther's preface to Paul's letter to the Romans. Uh, Wesley was deeply knowledgeable of the faith. He had been educated at Oxford, but he had just recently experienced epic failure as a missionary in the colony of Georgia. On this night, something happened. Wesley later wrote, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust Christ, Christ alone, for salvation, and an assurance was given me that that He had taken away my sin, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. As uh, Methodist preacher Will Willimon describes it, before Aldersgate, Wesley knew in his head that Christ had died for him, forgiven him, and loved him. After Aldersgate, Wesley knew Christ. In other words, Wesley had found himself in the same place as the Son, in the arms of a loving Father, wrapped, embraced in and by that gift of justifying grace. In the journey of our lives, like the journey of the lost son, like the experience of John Wesley, we we come to a point when we realize like things are not quite how they should be. That to be alive is to be in need of grace. Maybe we even start to have this longing for for something more, a home, an acceptance, an identity that transcends the life and the culture in which we were born. Perhaps we've, we've been on a church roll somewhere sometime. Maybe we've read the Bible some. Maybe we've We've helped some people. Maybe we've tried to be nice. All that good external stuff. We know some things about God. Maybe we even have this vague knowledge. We heard somewhere Jesus died for us. All of that is is important. But some way, somewhere, somehow, along the way, at some point, we have to be able to say yes deeply. To say yes either gradually or all at once to God. We say yes. Yes to God in response to God's yes to us in Jesus Christ. Maybe we catch a a glimpse of God from a distance and God's waiting for us with arms wide open, ready to embrace us. And when we decide, when we decide to fall upon God's mercy and love instead of all the other things that we think will will catch us, instead of all the other things that we think will catch us, will do something about the desire for status or acceptance, the shame, the guilt, the brokenness, when we decide to trust Jesus, to to throw ourselves completely into the arms of God and allow ourselves to be embraced. 
we enter through the doorway of faith. We experience justifying grace. It's like crossing a, a threshold into newness of life where we're no longer bound by sin and shame, where our, our identity is no longer based on deserve. But we've decided, you know, I just, I just can't do this on my own. To justify means to count someone to be in the right. When we trust Jesus and fall into his arms, God counts us in the right. In other words, God doesn't count our sins and our failures against us. We are forgiven. Justifying grace is God's pardon. Uh, Ernest Hemingway once wrote a short story called The Capital of the World. And in it, he, he told the tale of a father and a teenage son who had become alienated from one another. The son's name was Paco. He had wronged his father and subsequently had run away from home. The father searched all over Spain for his son, but still could not find him. And then finally, in a, in a last-ditch effort, the father took out an ad in the Daily Madrid newspaper. The ad read, Paco, meet me at the Hotel Montana, noon Tuesday. All is forgiven, Papa. The father in Hemingway's tale hoped and prayed that, that his son would see the ad and would show up there at the hotel. On Tuesday at noon, the father arrived at the hotel. And when he did, he could not believe his eyes. An entire unit of Madrid police officers had been called out in an attempt to corral 800 boys. It turned out that each one of them was named Paco. Each one of them had come there to meet his respective father and find forgiveness in front of the Hotel Montana. Friends, God didn't take out an ad in a newspaper. God came in person in and through Jesus Christ in a prodigal act of love. God was nailed to the cross with outstretched arms, taking all the evil and the sin on God's self, saying, Julie, meet me today here at the cross. All is forgiven. Pettis, meet me here today at the cross. All is forgiven. Papa. And to show up there, us, to show up there, to embrace what God has done for us on our behalf is to experience the forgiveness and the pardon that comes with justifying grace. But it's also to experience something more. It's to experience the acceptance and the restoration of a relationship and the identity that comes with it. And that's important because our, our ultimate longing for redemption and meaning and justification isn't just a desire to be forgiven, but to be accepted. Sociologists agree that when it comes to understanding our, uh, ourselves, social interaction plays a much bigger role than we realize. It's called the looking glass self. 
The looking glass self describes the process where individuals base their sense of self and worth on how they believe others view them. So using social interaction as a type of mirror, people use the judgments they receive from others to measure their own worth. So if we are wired to become what the most important people in our lives think we are, then justifying grace tells us that we're the ones that Jesus loves and accepts. That that's our new identity. When the son threw himself into the arms of his father and was embraced, it wasn't just forgiveness that happened. The father didn't just look at his son and pretend to love him. There's a genuine acceptance, not just an I forgive you, but welcome home, my son. His relationship and identity as a part of that family is secure. The son, remember, was ready to continue with his identity as a hired hand. Instead, the father puts a robe on him, puts a ring on his finger, both of which would have been symbolic of belonging to the family and taking on that identity. There's a change of status, you see, that happens with this reconciliation and declaration of trust, this act of trust. We get it. He says he was lost, but now he's found. He was dead, now he's alive. Hired hand, son. The father was his father all along, of course. God is our God all along, too, of course. But in this moment, in this embrace, the son truly knows him as his father and therefore knows himself as his son. When we embrace God's embrace of us, We truly know God as our Father and therefore ourselves as God's children. When we experience justifying grace, we experience the welcome home of God's embrace, and not just a not guilty verdict. We aren't just pardoned. We're adopted into God's forever family and have the assurance that God truly does love us and we are accepted. We fall upon God's mercy, God's love, everything. No more fear of failure. No more trying to earn everyone's acceptance or approval, including God's. No more redemption by comparison. No more guilt or shame or unworthiness. No more false identities based on our perception of ourselves or others' perception of us. Just the identity of being new, alive in Christ. Justifying grace says, you are not just a struggling parent, a middle-aged woman stuck in a job, a young man feeling the inner fire and and motivation growing cold, a COVID-weary church, a child trying so hard to fit in at school. Sure, you may feel uh, inadequate, uh, like a failure, insecure, stressed, afraid, confused, tired. That's not all you are. You are accepted. As Catholic priest Brennan Manning says, never confuse your perception of yourself or others' perception of you with the mystery that you are accepted. Justifying grace restores 
our relationship with God and gives us a new identity and acceptance that comes with it. I think back to Michaela Schifrin. At her best event, she fell nearly 10 seconds into the race. And for 15 minutes, she just sat there on the side of the slope, head down. I found myself saying to Lauren, I was like, yeah, I wish someone would just like go sit beside her and give this girl a hug. And, and finally someone did. I think it was a coach. Uh, sat down uh, beside her and he, and he put an arm around uh, her neck and just sat there with her. And eventually, Michaela moved her head from being just buried in, in her hands to, to leaning on the, on the coach's shoulder, embracing her embrace of her. Isn't that what we all need and long for? The good news, friends, about justifying grace is that God was in Jesus Christ doing just that. Reconciling the world to God's self. All have fallen short of God's glory, but all are treated as righteous freely by grace through Jesus Christ. When we turn to Jesus, trust Him to hold our lives and all of who we are. We embrace God's embrace of us. We experience unearned, undeserved forgiveness, acceptance, the restoration of a relationship and a new identity. We experience God's justifying grace. And it's just the doorway into the house. The real work of transformation and salvation has just begun. Imagine what comes next. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen.